everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wrist Cheese Radio Podcast, where we specialize in horological hot takes, taboo topics, and unpopular opinions. We've made it back for a second episode. Cheers to us, Schmidt. Congratulations. That's Thank a milestone you, sir. in itself. <laughs> Absolutely. For those of you at home who don't know, uh, I'm that horological meme bro, goes by Bro Dinky. With me, as always, is my co-host, Schmidt. Schmitty, say hello to the good people at home. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? How are you doing tonight there, Schmitty? I'm good, my friend. How about yourself? It seems uh, like we're, we're starting off on a good note. Uh, episode two. Yeah. We finally made it back for a second recording, so glad that we're here. Yeah, mostly, uh, I'm mostly exhausted. It's been a long week, and appropriately with the new Bond film coming out, I also feel like I have no time to die, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Between uh, <laughs> just work, the kids, it's it's been a hectic one, but uh, I'm glad I could make some time to join you here for another episode of the pod. Uh, I also hope that the folks at home appreciate the fact that in our first episode and continuing on, we are not wasting a ton of time on wrist checks and such. We go right into topics. We're not going to water down in our episodes and wax poetic on stuff that we own. Um, it's just, it gets a little bit repetitive, eats up a lot of valuable listener time. And, uh, you know, I feel like if we have something important, we could probably share that, right? Sure. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, if, if anyone's that curious, they could always email us at wristcheeseradio at gmail.com. Or if they just want to tell us they hate the show, that's equally fine. <laughs> Right. All, all, all comments and responses are welcome. That's for sure. Yeah. Good, bad. Good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a second here. Interesting things I have on hand, and I teased this to you earlier. Yes. I do happen to have this very nice uh, Oris Diver 65 cotton candy in my hand. It is the pink dial. It is not my watch, but I'm going to give a big shout to... Uh, VJ and the rest of the Oris team over there for helping me out with a little project I have undertaken. So one of my local charities here in New York, American Cancer Society, is running a program called Real Men Wear Pink. Basically, men raising money for a women's cause, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was I got involved and I wanted to see how I could help out and use maybe my reach for some good for once as opposed to just talking shit. So I got in touch with Oris because I was thinking who makes among the dopest pink watches, right? Obviously, Rolex ain't giving me a pink OP. That's happens, definitely true. Right? Definitely they're not true. even going to respond happen. to my, they're not even no, going to respond. Not even, not, they're going to be like, Rodinky who? Like, you're definitely not going to. They'll look at paid. it maybe thinking it's Hodinky and be like, ah, that's not it. So I got in touch with them, kind of said my piece, put them in contact with somebody to let them know I'm not scamming anybody. And next thing I know, this watch is on the way, which is totally sick. And again, tremendous kudos. And part of the reason in me even reaching out was I know they're big in philanthropy. And I, I think we should applaud that whenever we can. Yeah, absolutely. With, with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right? you see a lot of professional athletes wearing pink and stuff. This is called Real Men Wear Pink. I thought it's finally appropriate to find this thing a new home. Um, I will be announcing a way that I will be moving on soon, how somebody can win it. And hopefully it'll be sort of a win, win, win for everybody that I can help out. Charity gets money. Somebody gets a new watch they want. And uh, I can put a little good karma in the tank for all the shit talking I've done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. For definitely, sure. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. But again, so there's something I, I, I wanted to share that I had on hand. Uh, we don't usually take up too much time with what watches we own because that, that's not really our style. No. But glad I can get that out there. So stay tuned for that. Anything on your end, big guy? Uh, you know, nothing. I know we were kind of mulling over the, the, the topic for today's episode, what we wanted to discuss. And, and I, think, uh, I think you told me some, some good insights. We're going to lead into this. So I'll let you lead us off and, and kind of talk about what we want to discuss on this episode. Okay, and I don't think I've seen anybody tackle this one before, so I thought it would be a really cool episode. My idea was, and it's something I feel like a lot of us think about all the time, if I could start over collecting from day one, what would I change? And that's if I was finger on the trigger, ready to buy that first watch. doesn't have to be a luxury watch. It could be any watch. I'm about to go into the deep end, full send. 
what would I change from that moment? And this is, this is again, from the lens of current day. Right now, as a buyer in 2021, we know nothing about watches, about to make that first big purchase or that first jump into the foray of luxury. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a great topic. So why don't you, uh, why don't you start us off, bro? What do you okay. think? Okay, so, you know, I, th- I, I was coming up with ideas and I thought this was a real nice way to kind of reflect on your journey. And I feel like it applies to everyone. I feel like everybody has gone through this. I feel like everybody thinks about this pretty regularly. It's almost like a little existential crisis you have where whether you're deep in and you say, could I sell everything and start over? And what would I do? Mm-hmm. Or if I was, if I knew then what I knew now, what would I have done differently? Yeah. Right. Would I go up market? Would I go down market? Because there's people who have bought a bunch of cheaper watches leading up to a bigger purchase. And then there are other people who went big and then said, I'm in too deep and scaled it back. Yeah. There's a lot of give and take there. So there's, there's plenty of room for wiggle. And for those at home, I'm going to cut you off before you dive right into, I would have bought all the steel sports models. I would have bought the Hulks and just sold them all off. This is a collector perspective episode. This is not a financial episode. Okay. So cut that out. We're not doing that. This is a keepers collecting watch journey. Okay. Enthusiasm. We're not, we're not traders. Okay. So think back with me mm-hmm. past all the shitters, all the impulse buys, the catch and releases, right? Finger on the trigger. What are you changing? So I will go first and I'm going to harken back to this was my first luxury watch purchase. And first of all, I did everything possibly wrong under the sun, but needless to say. I think everybody does though. I mean, that's kind of, you got to figure it out. I mean, that's kind of the journey. So I bought a Tudor Pelagos blue at Tourneau and I was mulling over three watches at the time. It was between the Pelagos, the Seamaster Pro 300M with the ceramic bezel with the date at three, not right. six. This is, the, this is the smooth dial, not, yes. the, not the wave dial. The new yes, one. smooth dial because it just looked very clean, very sleek. And then the third one was watch. the- Yes. The third one was the orange bezel Planet Ocean, which is obviously a monster of a watch. Mm-hmm. So clearly I like divers. I was looking at sort of over-engineered something. Tool I watches. Could, yes, tool watches, because that's what I told myself. I feel like that's what a lot of people tell themselves is I need something that could withstand my lifestyle. Meanwhile, I guess that's really not the case. I, if I wore it at work, <laughs> if I wore it at work, I could really do some damage to a watch. Yeah, so yeah. Mo- most, would... of, most of us in our lifestyle are like couch surfing, watching Sunday Ticket, crushing a 12-pack, and eating potato chips on the weekend. Right, right? those 12-ounce like... curls, baby. 12-ounce <laughs> curls. <laughs> so I wind up buying the Pelagos. Or any one of them would have fit the bill. Sure. And I think that's one thing I always come back to is I felt like I could have went with any one of those three as a one watch collection and just rocked the crap out of it, right? Go anywhere, do anything. I don't care if I'm playing a sport or just sit on the couch. You know, I could ding this thing around wherever it's rugged as hell. I feel like I could go with one watch there. It's, I think any one of them have a little bit of dress to them that I could probably dress it up, get away with it. Plus nobody wears black tie anymore anyway, right? Like once in a very blue moon, but I feel like any one of those three would have been good enough in the range of plenty of water resistance, plenty of technology, all the way to I could wear it with a button up, no big deal, and mm-hmm, been perfectly mm-hmm. fine, right? It's got yeah. all those people call gotta go anywhere, do anything sort of traits to them. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think with maybe the exception of the Planet Ocean, especially the orange version, if you were looking at maybe the black dial, that'd be yeah. a different story, but a little more that one would have been... There. That would have been a little bit less versatile, but I mean, the, the Pelagos and, and the Diver, I mean, those are two great watches. I mean, and quite honestly, for most people that are not watch enthusiasts, those are one and dones. Yeah. You know, like you buy one of those watches and that could be the watch that you wear for the rest of time. It's just, they're just that good. So those are three solid choices, man. I wish my 
first luxury foray, uh, uh, foray into watches was amongst those types of watches. Like, it just wasn't, right? Uh, man, you had some good ones to start. And, and that with. was, let me tell you, that was from a bunch of just forum surfing. And also, it, it comes back to a point where I feel like a lot of people look at this. I was looking for that over-engineered beast. And all yeah. three of those fit the bill. I mean, they all yeah. have tremendous technology. They also have that heritage that people look for. They have that brand prestige. And it was they were just full package watches to me. And at the time, I have two very close friends of mine who are watch guys. And both of them were kind of in the same boat. They said, hey, those are three great choices. You really can't go wrong with any of them. Right. Like they were more like, see what you, what you do as far as pricing goes and see what you get the best deal on. What really wound up happening was me and them two went to Torno to just try stuff on and hang out. This is always how it happens. And I got smitten. And next thing you know, I'm slapping my car down for a deposit. The girl's like, we can refund you the deposit if you don't like it. We'll just get it in. And you come check it out. Well, needless to say, deposit happened. Yep. We went back to check it out. It was awesome. I also owned nothing in that realm at that yeah. point so yeah that first that first luxury purchase you really realize why it is a luxury yeah purchase because it's like everything about it is just so well refined it's so well machined the finishing is so good the the, the winding of the watch is so good especially when you're making a big jump right like if you're if your experience has only been skx's and yeah you know stuff you got to do the seiko shake to get it going like when you make that jump into the luxury realm, it's a completely different animal. And it just, it feels so good. Everything about the time just feels so much. Right. It was so high quality. It was titanium. Yeah. So it had some lightness to it, even though it was yeah. hefty. It had the sick clasp where you just pull the spring out and you can adjust it on the fly. There was so much to like about it. The bezel click is probably still the crispiest bezel I've ever used in my life. And it was hard. It was hard not to just say to hell with it. But anyway, I sat down with the girl. She was very nice. My friends still think she was into me, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's usually how we end up buying watches. Isn't that's it part always? of it? But so, but uh, and I think she still works there. But um, I haven't been back there in a while. Obviously, pandemic and everything. But sure. I don't regret it. It was a great buy. It got me into a lot of things and I wore it for a very, very long time before moving it. And I, to this day, I kind of miss it. There was a lot I can of charm tell. to I it. Can I can tell in, in how you talk about it, that it's, it's, it's one of those watches that just, there's just some, you know, you can see that there's an underlying resonance, like it had an impact on you. And I can tell in the way that you describe it. I mean, your story, I can picture 100%, right? I can picture the entire transaction. I can picture how everything goes because that's the experience that we wish that we would get everywhere when we buy something expensive. But I can tell there's somewhat of a, of a bit of regret in your voice when you, when you talk about yeah. how it's and, not here anymore. And a lot, of, you know, a lot of people aren't into the blue. I was about it. I, I, I don't I mind the it. loud watch. I love I that it. blue. I don't I love mind the loud blue. watch at all. And let me tell you, the loom on that is second to none. It is absolute oh, sure. torch. The date was super awesome when it flicked over right at 12. It was, there was really nothing I could complain too much about without nitpicking on that watch. It was a really, mm -hmm. really, and I, I feel very lucky to have had that as a first luxury watch. That's a killer first watch. There's In no that, question about it that. It gave me a lot of aspirations to measure other watches by where yeah. I feel like when I first jumped in and I was just buying affordables, I really didn't, I, I didn't know if I was being too picky when I'd get something and I would compare it. And I'd say, well, am I just nitpicking and this one is really good? Or is this industry standard and this one is subpar? It almost made me feel like a little guilty doing it. But that really yeah. set a bar for me. And, and I guess, thankfully, it is, it's helped me because going forward, I have a much higher standard for what watches I want to own to be like. Yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, with watch collecting, we need to make sure that we find our thing. We talked about this on, on last week's episode that you have to kind of find what you like. And like we said last time, if that means it's 1950s Bolivas, you know, go nuts and do whatever you need to do to, to get what you like. And once you kind of figure that out, that sets up the rest of your kind of collecting, you know, story, right. You know, 
it's going to shape who you are as a collector, the pieces that you gravitate towards, what you want to add to your collection, what you want to move on out of your collection. All of that shapes it. And I, and I wish, I wish I had a, a starting luxury watch story like that, because that is a phenomenal one. I would say this of all the Tudor watches to this day, my favorite quite unpopularly is the Pelagos. Um, I think it's such an incredible watch. I think it's super overrated. Um, my favorite criticism, however, is just how many lines of text there are on the dial. And I think it's a fair one. It's got a little story going on there. It, it does. I mean, <laughs> story, paragraph, you know, novel, it's all kind of relative on that watch. But if they made a new Pelagos with the dial text from the first OG the Pelagos, oh my God. And you released it in the same colorway that royal just caribbean blue i mean it's so it's it's so blue it's almost bordering on like fluorescent it's yeah. so vibrant when you see that in person it is stunning and those matted out hands everything about that one just looks so 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 good and, and it's a so, lot of it's so a lot of people don't like too. the snowflakes i like the snowflakes i do I, you know on certain models i do i mean i have a lot of friends that own black bays yeah. and great watches I don't like the 58 so much. Uh, I'll be honest with you because it just feels like everything's so condensed on that watch. But I think on larger pieces like the Pelagos, like the older 41 Black Bays, you know, they had the right proportions with the snowflakes, right? They're, they're chunkier. It's a bigger case. It, it has a little bit more visual weight to it. So it makes more sense, I think. Plus, you know, the purpose of a watch like a Pelagos is to be ultra legible. Yeah, that's what a snowflake gives you. It's like maximum legibility in any condition. So I, I can't fault that pick, man. I can't fault that pick. So let me ask you this. Yeah. What was ultimately the deciding factor for you? Why the Pelagos over the PO or over the diver? You know what? I just, I, I guess I had access to it. I, I was able to go try it on more easily. Okay. I didn't have those other two right in front of me where I could just step out and throw it on my wrist and try it out. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just, I, I threw it on and it, it just said by me. And that was what it yeah. was. I, yeah. I, it was one of those things where I did, I didn't go much beyond that. And it was kind of just like a, I guess a shallow dive, but I went back and forth between, you know, looking for sales deals on all three of them for probably about a month before I wound up doing that. But I, I got it on there and, and it was, it was hard to say no. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I can see that. I mean, and, and that's, I'll tell you this, in my entire existence in retail and, and, and working in the watch industry, and unfortunately, I'm not in retail anymore. I moved on to other things, but I still have a lot of good connections and friends in the industry. You know, as I kind of touched on last time, you know, when clients try on something, they're always going to be like, well, what do you think? You know, what, what this, this that, and the other, but it's, it's one of those things that like, when you know, you know. Yeah, And always in my experience, kind of that first watch that you naturally gravitate towards usually is the one. We can spend some extra time looking at other options, looking at different colorways, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, normally speaking, that first kind of gut reaction piece that throws you, that's the one to get. It's like 95% of the time. The first one you grab and slap on your wrist is the one because it's, it's, it's a guttural, it's a guttural reaction. It's just, that's the one, right? We can sit here and do the song and dance and try on the other one just for the sake of doing it. But usually it's that first one. The mind's already made up almost. Yeah, absolutely. Almost, almost always, almost always, at least in my experience, that's always been the case. Um, but yeah, man. So, okay. And it was funny when you were, when you kind of proposed this topic to me, I was kind of all over the place and I didn't really know exactly what I was going to say with regards to kind of like, if I had to do it all over again, um, I would say this for me, one of the things that I wish that I would have done back in the day is I wish I would have bought a Speedmaster sooner. Um, I own a, I own one of the new moon watches now, the 3861 caliber, but there was a moon watch back in the day that I absolutely fell in love with that I passed on like everybody. Right. So let me tell you the story. So this was when I was back in retail, I was working at an AD, they shall re remain nameless. And I remember we had just got a visit from the Omega rep 
right? And I'm a huge Omega fan if you haven't figured that out already by our first episode. And he did this presentation. He came in. We were talking about stuff. And we carried all different types of brands back then. And he did this presentation about, you know, watches. And during his visit, he brought us a new collection book for, you know, the new stuff that was coming out. And I remember thumbing through the pages after he left and I saw this Speedmaster. And it was the coolest looking thing in the catalog. It was a regular moon watch, but it had a very distinctive dial. And I remember going to our watch buyer at the time. His name was James. And I'm like, hey, James, are we going to order this watch in? And he looks at me. He's like, kid, what the hell are you talking about? Now, mind you, I was very young in the industry at this time, right? And I didn't really understand kind of the economics of the watch buying world, right? Everything that ADs own, they own. They put their own skin in yeah. the game. They buy this product and it's theirs They're until the they sell it. They're on the hook. The money's already been spent. That's how the watches show up. So these specialty pieces, these kind of like one-offs, if you will, they never hit the showcase because the retailers know that there's a really good chance that they will not sell. Okay. That's why when you go into like an Omega retailer, you'll never see a Plopro, right? Because yeah. it's a special order piece. Why? Because that brand does, or that store doesn't want to sit on a $12,000 watch in titanium that probably will never sell. Right. Let's just be honest. So. Um, so I'm talking to James and I'm like, James, like, but this watch is cool. And I remember looking at it. I'm just thinking like, man, this is so cool. It's a moon watch. It's got this really cool dial. And for those of you who, who may be listening and, and kind of talk, you know, understanding what I'm talking about here, this dial had a red and white checkered board around the dial. And oh, back then, this is, one. this is 2012 uh, or uh, just a few years after this, right? This is 2012 years after that. And Omega had listed it in its catalog as the Speedmaster Racing. It was a racing collection with a red or white checkerboard dial. And I'm talking to James like, but this watch would sell. I could sell this piece. And he's like, kid, you're absolutely crazy. One, I'm not buying it. And two, it's hideous. Who the hell is going to buy a watch with a red and white checkerboard flag? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Because if it's really a racing watch, it would be black and white with a checkerboard flag. And I'm sitting to myself thinking, I'm like, you know what? You're not wrong in that statement, but I feel like this is a cool timepiece that we should sell because it would be unique. And again, you know, being naive in the business, I didn't understand the idea of sitting on product that wouldn't move, right? And having already had that investment. It would have been a very, very small clientele that would have picked up this watch. And what was crazy is back then, the retail price of this watch was $46.50. It was $150 more than the standard moon watch, which was $4,500, which was $100 more expensive than the smooth dial 300 meter divers, yep. then, which is crazy to think about that today. But this watch at $150 more at my cost, you know, buying it through the AD that I worked for at that time, it would have been pennies. It would have been pennies. And now you can't touch a tin tin for less than fifteen thousand yeah. dollars. And and again, it wasn't even a watch that I thought was gonna be collectible or rare or unique in any way. I just liked it. I thought it was funky. It was cool. It had a different dial. Uh, it had a, you know a unique case back. So, long story short, here I think for me, when it comes to like if we could do things again. For me, my advice would be go for it. If you get to that point where you feel it in your bones, go for it, right? Whether it's the right time or the wrong time, there's never really a right time. Sometimes you just got to make the plunge and then figure it out after the fact. If you get to that point where you're like, hey, man, I just can't afford it, well, then move it on. You know, no big deal. But sometimes when you get to that point where we're looking over the ledge, we're like, you know what, should I jump? My advice to myself, if I could do it again, is don't be afraid to, to take that risk. Don't be afraid to, to make the plunge because you might, you might benefit from it. And it's funny. That's part of something I had written down was for some reason, when you see a keeper, you know it. Yeah. And I know sometimes you get a kind of a, a false sense of that where you see something and you're like, 
this is so awesome. I'm going to buy it. It's going to be such a great part of my collection. And then you wind up selling it. But when you find a real keeper, something you're going to hold on to for a substantial amount of time, you just know. And it's mm -hmm. fun. One of my, my friends that I, I've mentioned before, he calls it the vice grip and he refers to it as the vice grip on his, his nether regions. But yeah. he's like, he's like, this watch has the vice grip on me. He's like, I can't shake it. And I, I'm going to have to buy this thing eventually at this price or at a worse price later. So yeah, I might as yeah, well. Yeah. And I have, no, I, mean, I have examples that's... of that too. The, the, the Peter Blake, what Peter Blake, right? Seamaster. Yeah. 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 Peter that, Blake. You used to be able to get that for under two grand, right? It's a little yeah. mil spec kind of looking. They made a mid size and a, a larger size. They make auto end courts and now you can't find them anywhere. Or they're just expensive. And I always yeah. liked that. And I was like, damn, I should have jumped on one of those. That's like a, I, a great I'm, everyday I'm, watch. I know. I'm low-key hoping that Omega, if you're ever listening to this, I'm low-key hoping that eventually we'll get another 225-450 just kind of like subtly worked in there. <laughs> Whether it's like a Bond watch or something cool that would happen in the future, I think people would go absolutely bananas for that watch. I think it would be so cool. Not to, not to sidetrack you, but. And I think, no, I th and I think like a lot of people, a lot of watches in the 1601 range Rolex, mm -hmm. they used to be out there all day long for three, even under three, I used to see. And now they're double, double that, right? And yeah. It's just crazy. It was one of those things that it was and like they're a, old watches. Right, it they're was, a, old. it was this charming old watch that it was like, you know what? Those are cool. I might like one one day. Eh, it'll be there. I don't need it. Eh, they pop up in a hodinky every single week. Yeah. It'll be fine. And now you're like, oh, well, now I'm priced out because I don't want to spend that much on it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone else that 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 was waiting ended up buying them, driving up the prices. And so like everyone was reading the same hodinky articles you yeah. were reading. Yeah. And like now they're now they're unobtainable. And it's it's the the watch industry is in a very weird place where things like that happen and they're yep. happening a lot more frequently so it's it's very interesting very interesting so long story short take the plunge if you if you feel it in your heart of hearts or if that vice grip is on your nether regions then you know what that's it like the bullet because <laughs> you might be you might price yourself out and i'll tell you this that tin tin okay i could have probably bought that somewhere in the high twos you know like a pretty good significant price off the watch I'd have made $15,000 on it, $13,000 on it, if I were to sell it. And there's not a single day that goes by that that watch does not haunt. I mean, it's tough. It's tough, man. It's tough. That is a watch that haunts me, you know? And no matter what, as much as I love my new Speedy, it'll never be a Tintin. <laughs> it just, I mean, it's just, it's just the honest truth. It never will be, you know? That watch haunts me. If I, if I won the lottery today, that would be one of the first watches I would buy. Just throw down and just be like, you know what? I'm done. This is it. I don't care what the price is. Boom. Done. All right. So I have one more in the barrel here. My other scenario. And this is one that I've kicked around all the time because it's super doable. If I ever decide to just be an absolute crackhead would be the watch collecting equivalent of the crazy cat lady. And in case nobody okay, knows what that right. means, in case nobody knows what that means, the, the crazy cat lady is the one that opens the apartment door and it's full of cats, like hoarding beyond belief. If you've ever seen man, Secret man, Life you've been pets, in and around New York City way too often, my friend. Yeah, my, my kid watches, I think it's Secret Life of Pets 2. Okay. There's a, a cat lady who just has... I can't even tell you how many living with her, but the crazy cat lady. It's a disgusting amount. Yes. So obviously I think everybody knows my, my love for cheap Seikos. I would have a ton of those, all the, all the classics from when I started collecting the, the green dial Alpinist, the, the original mm. cocktail time, the yes. Sarb 033, which is like your basic everywhere, go everywhere, do everything. Watch a gen one orange monster because it's just obnoxious. If you oh, want yeah. one, I have one. <laughs> I actually have one too, so I'm okay. good. <laughs> but but uh, probably a vintage turtle would be cool. Oh, yeah, 6309. Like 
yeah, a, a, a Pepsi diver of some sort, whether it be an SKX or a 7548 Quartz. And then your other just awesome shitters, right? Your Hamilton Khaki, maybe a PRX or something. I would never have to feel bad because mm-hmm. my collection would never be worth that much. So I could just enjoy it every day. I wouldn't have to w- worry about where I'm wearing it, what I'm doing. I could bang my watch off the wall and not really care because they're all pretty easily serviceable, easily replaceable. I don't have to have insurance on any of them. And mm-hmm. I could just I could just wear the heck out of them. Right. Yeah. Kind of how they're meant to be. And yeah, never I mean, have and to that's, worry. And that's kind of the purity of it, right? We'll just we'll just have to get you a crown and call you the king of shitters. That's it. And <laughs> I think somebody might have already taken King of Shitters, but I will gladly be the shitter king. <laughs> I mean, but it's true because like that in its most simplest form is pure watch collecting, right? It's enjoying it for the hobby, buying pieces, loving pieces, not killing yourself to buy these pieces. And with that, you know, with these kind of lower budget watches, I mean, and they're not lower budget anymore. Yeah. But with these lower budget watches at that time, that was a great collection. It was a phenomenal collection. You literally crossed off every single major watch criteria right diver dress watch something kind of funky with an integrated bracelet right tough as nails you know crazy diver like the orange monster i absolutely love that hideous piece of crap i mean it is it is a tank of a watch but it's ugly yeah it's cool you know (laughs) it's ugly charming is what it is yeah absolutely right but yeah, I, and I think for most of them at the time when I was originally buying and selling these watches, most of them with the vintage turtle aside. So even if I went new turtle, I think I could have every single one of them for under for 300 or under Yeah, at that time period, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy that that was a thing before and now it's really not. But it, I guess it just lends itself to the validity of, of watch collecting as, as a hobby becoming more mainstream, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember when the cocktail time was kind of like the cool watch and, and people were like, hey, man, do you know about the cocktail time? And like, you used to talk to people about it and like, oh, it's super low key. It's a cool watch. Now you know, don't like, them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't kind of like tell anybody. But now like the presage has just co-opted that style. There's like a thousand of them, right? Yeah. Cocktail time GMTs and power reserves. And like all this Yeah, you find the stuff. one you want. And I'm just like, man, it was cool when there was one, you know? Yeah, it's like the legend. Icy blue dial with that black patent strap (laughs) with the weird stitching. It was was very weird. It was hideous. It was like reflective. (laughs) It was hideous. But, you know, the dial on that watch was absolutely insane. Not too much text. Not busy. Yeah. Super low key. No presage logo. Just Seiko. An automatic and just good looking, right? That was always a watch I, re- I recommended to people. It's just like, you know, this is, this is the watch collector's watch if you're kind of into lower budget timepieces. And this is something that you would show up to a meetup and be like, oh man, this guy's got a yeah. cocktail time. Like respect. he knows what's up. Yeah, respect, right? It's, uh, it's like now it's like, oh, this guy's got a passage cocktail time. Look at this. Look at this putz. You what know, drink it's like, is that? Mojito? Yeah, it's like, I mean... Jeez, it, it's just it's changed so much, and 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 I don't know if it's necessarily for the better, but I guess in a way it's it's helped to popularize the hobby a little bit more. So who knows? Maybe when things start returning back to normal, we have better, you know, traveling and, and intermixing with everybody post pandemic and everything. That you know, maybe that'll change. Who knows? Yeah, and part of, I guess, part of the allure of a collection like that is. I can stop chasing specs, which I think everybody's guilty of. Yep. And like I said before, with my first choices, everybody loves an over-engineered watch. You feel like you're getting such value and such technology for the money Mm -hmm. and being able to dive 600 meters. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you say, why? I mean, don't get me wrong. I know you dive. Sure. Legitimately. But every once in a while, I turn around and I'm like, I don't need a single spec on this watch. I just yeah. wear it every day in my regular life and it's great for what it does and that's it. And not that there's, there's anything wrong with having 
great specs. There's not. But realistically, even a movement like those older Seiko movements that are plus minus 30, 45 a day is reasonably accurate. Yeah, I mean, you'll be in the right minute. Like, yeah, what am I really timing to the second? I'm not I'm not on the space station timing the burn like in uh, Apollo 13. Right. I mean, and the other thing, too, is, you know, for me, those are watches that I put on purposefully. Like when I when I decide to take my monster out of the box, it's because I want to wear a fluorescent orange dial diver that looks ugly. Yeah. Right, like I choose to pull that watch out of the box, and then I put it on a fluorescent orange isoprene and rock it around. You know, I go mow the grass and I go to the hardware store. I'm doing something active in that watch that I want to have something that's over engineered. Um, and you know, do I care if it's running at plus twenty seconds a day? You know, in the grand scheme of things, I might be wearing it for a day or two. It really doesn't matter. Right. And and by the way. They keep way better time than their specs suggest anyway. So I don't even think mine is running yet 10 seconds a day. I think it's running much more accurately than that. But even if it wasn't, who cares? It's a cool watch. It's something that watch collectors will notice. Everyone else, you know, they can screw off. They, they won't care. But at the end of the day, it's a cool watch. And when it comes to those types of timepieces that are more budget-friendly or lower cost, that really allows you to, to appreciate and enjoy the hobby for what it is, right? To have something to get to get kind of a, a vast collection and enjoy it, you know, have a piece for everything. So I think it's cool. I, I really can't, I really can't fault you for that. I really cannot fault you for that. Right. And they're, they're reasonably tough for everyday life, reasonably accurate, reliable. You can easily service them. There's parts available. You like the look, you're good, right? There's not much mm-hmm. else to think about, which is kind of nice. It's almost like living in like a smaller world without realizing the rest of the universe. You know, you could be happy in your little bubble there, collecting what you like at a reasonable price and not keeping up with the Joneses and not trying to outdo other people or having a flex piece or some crazy specked out watch to stand on where you're telling everybody oh but this can go to the bottom of the sea and this can track Mm -hmm. time to such a crazy extent instead you're just enjoying and that's kind of what i always enjoyed about the hobby in general and that's kind of what i've why i've always had a soft spot for for cheap seikos and i always bring them up is that's a period that i look back on and i'm just very fond of where i was buying those and I was kind of unsure, but I was just so happy with what I was getting. I was like, this is as cool as everybody's telling me, right? This, even though it's got a wobbly compass bezel, this Alpinist is awesome. And there was just so much I really liked about that part of collecting that I'll I'll always have a soft spot for that. And so when I, I return to that, it always makes me happy. And that's why I keep this collection that I have of I have, you know, an an Arnie reissue. I have the orange monster. I have a turtle and a bunch of other Seikos. I I posted a shot the other day and I was like, people asked me what my favorite brand is. I I think I had like eight or nine Seikos in the shot. And I was like, well, this is what it is. And it's, it's not because of any specific crazy reason. It's really just, they remind me of what I, I really loved about getting into this. And that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the purity of the hobby, right? It's the innocence of starting out that watch collecting journey. I mean, cause let's be honest, most of us started with a Seiko. My first ever automatic watch I bought on eBay in college for (laughs) 80 bucks. And it was a Singapore special Seiko before the SKX. Nice. Um, it, I mean, it was a, I think the reference was a 7002J, which was right before, or I'm sorry, right after the 6309, but before yep. the Seiko SKX, right? There's plastic components in this movement. It's 30 years old because it's technically a birth year, which came to, came to find out that was kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but really cool watch just so so cool and i remember getting it in this like bubble mailer right it came from singapore 
the guy had wrapped it in like bubble wrap with rubber bands and like scotch tape the whole hell of it and he stuck it in like a bubble mailer envelope like not a box like a bubble mailer and then shipped it to the united states in the mail in this envelope and i'm just like man I hope this thing survived, right? It's got all these cool, crazy import stamps and all this stuff. And I remember cutting it open one day after afternoon. I get back from classes and I'm just like, oh, my, my watch is finally here. And I remember cracking it open for the first time and seeing that secondhand sweep around the dial. And it was probably one of the most, like, honest to goodness, just sweet feelings you know, that, that I'm still, like you said, I'm still incredibly fond of. I remember that experience, right? right? Seeing that secondhand dance for There's the first the time. That's the one they're talking about. It's That's it's, the sweep. It's it, it, it blew my mind that watches could work like that. And it blew my mind that they did work like that and still do, right? And, you know, it, it just, it takes me back to a, to a pure time because, I mean, that was the beauty of collecting. It was, it was so innocent we were getting into the hobby for the first time. And it was, it was, it was like stepping into a doorway to another dimension, another time, like just being able to see it. The journey begins, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. starting out on that right foot and, and, and beginning that journey. And it's just like it's a, a moment of realization. Yeah. What, what would I give to go back to that? You know, just to, to remember when collecting was fun and there was no pressure and, Nobody cared what you bought. It was just, it was about personal choices. And I think that's in a lot of ways, we touched on this last episode, but that in a lot of ways is kind of what's missing today. Right. Less hype everyone, drops, less yeah, limiteds. Yeah. And even if they tried. were limiteds, they were big limiteds. I feel like they yeah, were, yeah, yeah, you yeah. had a chance to get these. This wasn't sold out in 30 seconds. Right. And, and I just feel like too, you know, a lot of collections today for people, they're, they're buying it for other people's recognition. Yeah. Right. Like I don't buy watches for anybody else. I could care less. And you shouldn't. And 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 again, yeah, you shouldn't. We touched on this last time. We sh we shouldn't. But people do. And those same people are absolutely miserable with their collections because they didn't buy them from for themselves. And I think it's really sad. I think it's really sad. And that was part of the, uh, the I guess the second fold of this episode and I, I i thought about it when i was explaining it to you i said wait there's a second tier to this is that advice i would offer to myself in the past and part of that was to block out what other people think yeah because at the end of the day your collection is for you mm -hmm. but also there's just a lot of people who want to make other people miserable about their collections because they're yeah. unhappy with their own i feel like and or they just don't know what they're they're in the hobby for. And and that was why I originally got off the forums was because there was just that toxicity that yeah, I, I don't I blame want, you. I didn't want my life anymore. I was originally it was to to get involved and share wrist shots and things and And it was a wealth of information. Yeah. It was exactly. it was knowledge based. I mean, I remember being on Watch You Seek and and, and having the application on my phone and being able to like jump into to, to Omega forums or Rolex forums or all those things back in the day, time zone, you know, all those things back in the day and just being able to communicate with people. And then it just got so nasty, so yeah. ugly. It's Very alpha. Like, yes, yeah. it was so toxic. And I just remember like, you know, posting something through like, oh my God, why would you post this piece of crap? Like, is this all you could afford? Like, it was just like, it was very, very dark. And I was like, I have to, I have to distance myself from this because it's, it's a, it's not a great place to be. And I think today, I mean, I really don't know who frequents the forums anymore, which I think is a good and bad thing. I think it was, I think it's bad because there was a lot of great information that was shared there that I think yep. is being less shared amongst the community because the com the community in air quotes <laughs> is uh is getting more of their information from the mainstream sources. Right? You're getting it from Houdinki, Block to Watch, Worn and Wound, Time and Tide. You know, you're getting it from mainstream watch editorial systems and and blogs that you weren't necessarily getting it from before. Um, the forums were kind of the the gateway for that. And I think a lot of that's changed. Now 
you know, the occasional time that I do log on the forums, it's just a bunch of trolls. Like it's, it's, it's just even more toxic than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So um, it's interesting, but no, I think, I think your advice is correct. It's like, don't listen to anybody else buy what you like, you know? Yeah. And it's a little cliche, but it's true. And it's true. And the other, the other part of that is I feel like people look for excuses to buy watches when you really don't need one other than I want it. Yeah. Right. It's always, Oh, I'm going to buy this to pass this down to my kid. I need to justify owning it by, it needs to fill a, a spot in my collection as the, I need a dress diver and this fits the bill. No, you, you want this watch just buy it. Right? That, yeah. That's it. Right? That, it's, it's the little lies we tell ourselves. Right. Exactly. I mean, and, yeah. and, and, and let's be, <laughs> and let's be honest. I mean, watch collecting as a hobby itself is, is, is a little ludicrous, right? We all know that yeah. you don't really need to have a watch that tells the time, especially not in a mechanical format. You get a phone, you got all these types of sources to, to get time everywhere. So uh, I get that. And you're absolutely right. Your point is correct. It's like, just admit it. You like it. You want to own it. You want to buy it. Like we don't need to rationalize this to ourselves. And in some ways that's good. It helps lessen the blow, especially to our, our CFO partners uh, back at the household sometimes, but um, you know, it's enjoy it, buy it, you know, don't be afraid to take the plunge. Don't listen to other people's feedback. Just if you like it, buy it, make, make the decision and, and, uh, and collect stuff that you like. I mean, it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. Right. And realistically, nobody cares what you're wearing. That's the other part. <laughs> everybody especially, especially non-watch people, right. especially non-watch people. Tells themselves that lie is that other people care what I am wearing. Nobody notices. Nope. Nobody notices unless you're a watch person. If you're a watch person, yeah, you'll see it and you'll connect with that person because you guys are also watch people. But for the average public, like when you go to the grocery store, nobody cares. Somebody's going to stop you and be like, hey, man, nice speedy. <laughs> it just, it doesn't always happen. People notice it because they're into watches. Right. And so that's what doubles down on the idea that you should make sure that you like it because it really doesn't matter to anyone else. Exactly. 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 Man, I was trying to think of what advice I would give myself. Cause you already, you already kind of touched on it. It's like, you know, tune out, tune out the extra noise, tune out the, the, the BS and, and, and focus on what makes you happy. Um, I've got a and, couple that, that I feel like if there's any new budding watch collectors listening, please listen. One of them is to get a decent set of tools. <laughs> I can't tell you how many, that's actually a good point. That's how many times point. I have marked up a watch because I'm using a crappy tool. Yeah. When if I just spent a few extra dollars, I could have a decent tool and yeah. get you a, get you a Bergeron spring bar for like $5 more on Amazon than yeah. the Chinese one. You're going to buy off the worn and wound website. You know, let's, let's it's get you some quality tools. Uh, that's a, that's a that's, great, that's right. A great that's point. a good one. That's a, definitely a valuable one. Uh, another one would be to go easy on the straps. Yes. The, uh, Man, you're you're taking all the good ones, but this is true, and I'll and I'll elaborate on this. When you get into watches, especially when you get that first watch that has like common lug size, like twenty yep. millimeter, you're like, I need this leather NATO, I need this rubber NATO, I need these seventeen Bark and Jack NATOs, I Let need this canvas. One. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> hold club. up, hold up. Nobody needs. Nobody needs a basketball leather watch strap, okay? <laughs> Let's be honest, okay? They might be cool for a hot minute. But then you're going to look down your watch box like, why did I buy this? And then when you try to sell it, you're like, who wants to buy your grimy, sweaty leather watch strap? Like, nobody. So now you're just stuck with it. So it's just kind of like, go easy. And I, I couldn't say it better myself. Go easy on the straps. Or you, you only want- need a couple. You're one of those person, uh, those people listing their watch with extras, and meanwhile it's used straps <laughs> yeah, with extras, box papers and extras, and all the straps, and they all look worse for wear. They're just so like beat up. It's like the canvas is fraying and all this kind of stuff. So no, I remember I think that's one funny. time a guy offered me a, an extra strap 
like for extra money and I declined and he's like, we'll just take it anyway. And it was this hideous, I think I still have it. It's a hideous denim strap. Dude. It's pretty ugly. Like if I was trying to wear an ugly watch, I would definitely throw that thing on it. <laughs> it looks like it came from a pair of overalls worn on like a farm. Just, what's crazy, just take it. He's like, I. it's so bad. I don't even just want it. Just, he was like, just, just give me the strap for free. It's so horrible. Yeah, we it was should, pretty we should, we it's should burn good. an effigy just be like, all right, we're, we're finally going to put this strap out of its misery. Put it to rest, right? <laughs> oh, man, what, what strap did I be, What strap did I get that I, that I liked and then I destroyed it and then I'll never be the same again? Um, oh, I got a, an early crown and buckle leather NATO. And I scratched the ever-living crap out of it one day with, like a, with, a, with a case that had really sharp, like, area between the lugs and it just decimated the strap i'm just like oh man you mean you mean they don't pull through as easily as the nylon ones it's like oh as soon as it happened too i'm like over here like trying to rub it like it's gonna go away (laughs) it's like the leather's just destroyed brutal like that first scratch on the watch it's like hold on if i just rub harder yeah you're like, no, it's, that's a it's a smudge that's a smudge it's, it's not a scratch exactly. it's a smudge a little bit of food on there let me just get it off uh no i think that those those two are good um i would also say this uh is advice you know buy a couple things you're not afraid to to beat up you know like if you're gonna go and get you something really really nice get you something that you can really put through its paces if you need to and also have something that's going to be nice, but if something were to ever happen to that watch, i.e., you know, you get mugged, you know, God forbid, or something like that, you know, you don't feel bad. Destroyed. I've, I've yeah. seen people. I remember like way back in the day, I used to go on a friend's boat, and his. I don't know how it happened. Dad's watch fell off the wrist into the water. Oh God! Never recovered. And yeah. I don't want to say it was definitely expensive. They had money. As as a young kid, I don't remember what it was, obviously. But given what their background was, I want to say it was at least probably a Breitling. Hmm. Yeah, that hurt. That hurts. And I remember he sent sent the kid down with the mask and said, "Go see if you could see it on the bottom," and he couldn't. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's always been so, like low key a dream of mine going diving. It's like find somebody's luxury watch and just like hopefully it's a submariner with the crown still screwed in and like the sapphire crystal intact. I'll just take it and get serviced, you know. But uh <laughs> no I mean it, yeah I yeah be be careful. It's a real thing. Get, get one of those watches that if it ends up at the bottom of the ocean you're totally fine. Because I'll I'll be honest with you in all the times that I've been diving like to see how fast things fall to the bottom it's it's insanely it's insanely fast like if you were to drop a rock and watch it underwater hit all the way down to the bottom it's gone in seconds like it's just like just done because what also happens too is the pressure will like compound and it forces it down faster so like once it's gone down after a few feet it that baby's gone it's gone and it's really 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 hard to find stuff underwater especially if it's dark water it's oh man and I, we, pr- I, I pray for that guy we use the term beater shit or whatever but when i use those that's a that's a term of affection. endearment yeah endearment adoration i i don't buy anything i don't like anyway so even though it's a cheapo it's still cool and i still if i lost it or damaged it would feel bad but you don't feel that bad which is no. kind of nice. And even if you throw a bunch of wear on it, you could say, hey, I wore this thing to hell and back. It's still ticking. It still looks pretty good. Because one, you put the first few scratches on and it looks kind of crappy because it's very, I guess, unmatched. Like it's uneven throughout. Yeah. So once you scratch up the entire thing, it looks fine, right? Watches yeah. with a ton of wear on it look great. Watches with a single scratch look like crap. But I mean, you <laughs> have speed, to get there. Right? Master right now, it's like you have to get oh. there. It's a, it's a process. It's not an overnight yeah. thing unless you just buy somebody else's old beat up watch. Which and, is, and it's I like a merit fun, badge. But... It's like a merit badge, right? Like it's yeah. you, you. It's a it's a badge of courage. It's a badge of honor. It's like you you scratch this thing and you've worn it. It's it's had a well lived life. And I think that's the goal. I think that's when you buy a watch. I think that's that's the goal is to give it a proper 
worn life, I guess what you'd call it, but where you could say, I wore this thing all the time. It treated me well. I treated it well. It never let me down. And even though it's got some scrapes and nicks, I could still appreciate it. And I think anybody who sees it will also appreciate that and knowing that I had a great experience with it as opposed to somebody who just buys something and throws it away and then they pull it out years later and it's in mint condition. And while that's cool, don't get me wrong, it's like having a an amazing collectible car and never driving it. Yeah. Right. You're it's, never it's a waste. taking it out. It's it's a waste. It's it's unfortunate. I, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually have a story from back in my retail days. Uh, there was a guy who was a well-known collector at our store. He shall remain nameless. But I remember he came in and he was picking up an Omega because we were an Omega AD. And I think it was like an older 300 meter or something like that. He just wanted something that was going to be like durable to wear every day. But back then we also carried paddock. So wow. this guy was a huge paddock collector, like huge, but he never wore them ever. He collected all of these watches and they never left their boxes ever. He would just hoard them in the safe. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, like, I get what you're doing. You know, like you want these watches to retain value and all that stuff. And you want them to be investment pieces. But the, the crazy thing is they're only investments, you know, if they're being sold. Right. But they're just sitting there dying. It is the most, it's like the saddest thing for a watch to be made and never used. And I just remember thinking about all these watches that he bought and it was it was, do- it was dozens, dozens, and they never left his vault. They were always locked up. And that was back then where you could buy a paddock and you could keep it sealed in the plastic and the box and everything. Like now they make you un- unseal it and all yeah. that stuff. You know, this was back then. They never left the plastic. Like he never inspected the watch. Like it was still in factory packaging and he just took it in the carton and took it home, you know? And I'm just thinking to myself like, How? Why? Like, why spend all this money to, to, to buy something that you'll never appreciate? You'll never see it in its, let, let's call it a natural habitat, right? Like working, running, you know, doing what it's supposed to do. And I get it from the investment perspective. You're keeping them super minty because they're, you know, new old stock, basically factory fresh. But nobody will ever enjoy them. They're just going to collect dust in a vault or safe somewhere. And eventually one of your greedy kids is probably just going to sell them anyway and make a crap ton of money. And, and I also, I, I always wonder about the, uh, the lubricant situation on those because yeah, they're factory fresh, but like a car, it sits and it's never ran. That can't be good for the internals. Oils dry up. Oils dry up. Now I will say this though. Most brands are using synthetic lubricants these days. Uh, before, you know, older lubricants were, were somewhat animal-based or petroleum-based products, so they would dry up and 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 get kind of congealed much yeah. faster, so watches would require servicing longer. This is why watch brands are like, oh, yeah, I have a 10-year service interval. It's just because they swapped out the oils and they they work better. They don't break down as much. It's why now cars can get 10,000 miles say. between yep. oil changes versus, you know, 3,000 miles, right? So it's it's exactly the same principle. So nothing, nothing crazy, guys. So for all of you guys out there, like, oh, now we have 10-year service intervals. It just changed the oils. Like it's, it's industry standard now. <laughs> it, it's like, come on, guys. Like nothing, it's not magic. It's just, it's just a different oil lubricant. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. And I can't imagine that it's going to be good either way. You know, I, I don't let my watches sit for a long time. You know, occasionally I'll go through and I'll wind them up just to, just to see them work just for a little bit. Yeah, sometimes it's you good. don't get around to wearing one for a while. It happens. Yeah, yeah. just wind it up, let it run, and, and see how she does. You know, it's okay. But letting it sit for years and years and years and years without intervention, I don't think that's good for anybody. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? I mean, Paddock might just service them anyway. Who knows? Yep. Never really own a paddock. You just merely look after it for the next generation. You just merely let your kids sell it for a boatload of money. 
I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> that kid's going to be wearing his dad's Omega Seamaster and selling like 50 of his paddocks that he's had new old stock minty fresh in the vault. So, I mean, I guess. Bond didn't wear a paddock. <laughs> you know? He didn't. He, he didn't. did not. Cannot make that claim. I think I am out of uh, philosophical things to tell my younger self. Anything else you would like to tell younger Schmidt? I think we touched on a lot. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that you and I, I mean, you and I think a lot the same. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that we would, that we would tell each other would be similar. Um, I think if anything, and I know we kind of touched on like, oh, you know, you don't invest in Hulks and all that stuff. I think for me, although it wouldn't have mattered much for me personally, I think I would have liked to have put more pressure on my dad to get a Submariner back in the day. Was he into it and just never did it? He was, but he wasn't. Because my dad, I'll I'll be honest with you, my dad wears watches. My dad's not a watch person. Okay. Like, like my dad has several Omegas now. He's got some Rolexes, things like that. He has watches. He doesn't even know how to set them, right? <laughs> like, like he's like, hey, son, the date changed. Can you uh, come over and change the watches for me? Like, it's legit. Like, this is what my dad does. Like, every month, it goes from, you know, 30 days to the first. He's like, my dates are behind. Right? So, my he's, dad likes wearing watches. It's like a thing for him. He's enthusiastic, he but he's yeah. not a, an enthusiast. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, my dad is not a watch collector per right. se. He's not going to meetups. He's not, you know, meeting with other watch collectors. Like, he just wears a nice watch because that's the thing to do. Okay. And my dad, uh, well, my dad first kind of entered into a more professional world and started becoming more of an executive in his life. My dad, his first watch was an Omega and that's kind of why myself, I'm, I'm a huge Omega fan. It was my dad's first foray into luxury right. and it subsequently became my own. But in between that time, after having the Omega, my dad bought a, a Rolex date just, and I still wish he had it because it was a date just turnograph, okay. but not the one that they did with the reissue. This was like a late nineties. So it had just a simple rotating friction set bezel yep. in gold. It didn't have the flutes. It didn't have crazy big chunky, you know, black painted markers on it. Yeah, it was low it didn't key. Have that, yeah, it was super low key. And looking back on it now, that watch, it was just such a gangster looking piece that I wish he still had it. But eventually it came to the point where my dad just wanted to trade up and he bought him more new version of the Datejust, and he ended up with an all steel 36 mil smooth bezel roulette dial or uh, roulette uh roulette date Datejust. i love roulette date person yeah i mean it's cool hey, again subtle flex really cool it's not common but just was a nice watch and that's what that's his rolex that he wears every day or every other day now because he does rotate watches but you know i know my dad's always appreciated the submariner just because, you know, in his world, in his generation, like that was the, that was the, the business watch, yep. right? I mean, in a lot of ways it still is today, but that was the business watch back then. And I think for him, I, I should have just, you know, if I had to tell myself to do something, is put more pressure on him to go get it or get it for him and just hold on to it. And it just wouldn't have needed to be anything like ceramic or anything like that. My dad wouldn't have cared. Right. It could have been, you know, the last generation of the aluminum bezels. Yeah, those and it would have been just cool. It would have been awesome. I mean, it would have been awesome. And I think if anything, it would just been like, hey, dad, go get this watch because at some point in the future, we will probably just not have the opportunity to ever get one. Because let's be honest, I'm a normal person. I don't have an exorbitant spend history with any retailer anywhere on planet Earth. I will never get a call for a submarine. Like it's just not a thing. And anybody who might be listening to this podcast, this is the reality check for you. If you have no spend history at a store, you are not getting a call for a sub or a Daytona or a GMT or any real sports models at all. If you do, you're extremely lucky, but it's almost next to impossible. 100%. So for me, although it would have been cool to have something like that, uh, I just think, you know, maybe putting a little bit more pressure on my father to get something like that would have been would have been really cool. But it's neither here nor there. 
he's, he has something that he likes and he enjoys and, uh, you know, it is yeah, what he's it is. doing. All right. It sounds like he, he found he's his doing way. Okay. He's doing okay. <laughs> his, his boys help him pick out some watches and he ends up saying yes <laughs> or no and buying them or not buying them. So it is what it is. But that's Very it cool. for me. That's, that's all I got. Shout that's out to you, though. old man. Nice. Shout out to you. Yeah. And I think, I think for the second episode in a row, we can end on a very touching story. So say goodnight, Schmitty. Good night, everyone. Take care. Be well. We'll catch you next time here on Rich Cheese Radio. Mm-hmm.